Like if you think about having a, a talk with, with your friend, maybe your friend just had a breakup and they're crying and heartbroken and, and it's an hour that they're talking and venting. And at the end of the hour, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so <laughs> tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what we do all day, every day. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Mark, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Mark. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me on another episode with another fantastic guest here on this episode. Today's guest, we're going to talk about a, uh, her career, which I got to say is probably, of all the careers I've interviewed, is the most varied and diverse in terms of settings within which you can practice. And you're going to see how this career, you're able to work in government, hospitals, clinics, private offices, one-on-one with patients, schools. I mean, it's such a diverse number of settings that within which you can work. That just gives you many different opportunities with which you can apply your skill set. So today we're going to talk with Catherine Moore. She is a licensed clinical social worker. And she will share with some really fun stories and some heavy stories sometimes about her career and how it's really impacting people's lives. And Catherine also has a whole bunch of other resources for social workers, which is great. And helping those people in the industry, social work industry, cope with their own stresses that they're dealing with. Now, as you know, I love to ask at this point, hey, if you like this episode or even love it, please smash or hit that like button. It would really bring attention of this resource to other people. And even better, if you want to leave a positive comment, that'd be much appreciated. So really encourage you to do that. Finally, another announcement before we get started here is that this is the last episode of this season number two. So we're going to get a little break and we'll jump right back into it after we find a whole bunch of other guests that we're going to interview to give even a deeper perspective of all the different health careers that are out there. And if you've been listening for a while, you know there's a whole plethora of them out there. So we're definitely going to jump into that when we meet back on season three. So thank you so much for listening. And without further ado, let's get jiggy with in here. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, I have a wonderful guest. Another one, of course. They're all wonderful. Today, I'm meeting with Catherine Moore. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Richard. How are you? Very good. Uh, You're in California. I'm in New York. So it's great. I love reaching out to people across the country and kind of find out how they're doing things in their profession. Catherine, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Catherine Moore. I am born and raised in Southern California. I got my master's and my bachelor's degree in social work from Cal State Long Beach. I just love that school. Two-time alumni. And since 2009, I have been social working in different industries, including affordable housing with seniors, running an after-school program. But my longest position or career has been in the healthcare field. So in 2014, I started with hospice and I stayed there for about five years. And then I transitioned into palliative care in an outpatient doctor's office. And now I'm currently working at the local hospital as their per diem kind of cover everything social worker position. So it sounds like social workers can be in tons of different places in your career. So what exactly does a social worker do then? That is a very good question. (laughs) A social worker 
I think as a broad definition is we really help people see their own strengths so that they can accomplish whatever goals that they need to accomplish. So a lot of people only hear about us in child protective services, taking babies away from parents, but that's only one area that we are in. We work in jails, we work in hospitals, we work in homeless outreach, we work with domestic violence, we work in policy and government and human trafficking. We're all over the place. What do you exactly do? Like, do you, you actually help families too? Yes. Let's hold off that thought. I, we kind of just gave a little, a tidbit. I want to dive into more of what you're actually doing to help people. But before we do that, what are the usual steps to achieve your professional degree? So usual steps is you need first a bachelor's degree, and it can really be in anything. Um, But the big one is a master's degree in social work. And that is required, especially if you wanted to go more clinical and do therapy or counseling and or supervise other social workers. And that the master's is what's needed. And do most people get their master's if they're a social worker? Yes. Okay. What is the best part of being a social worker then? For me, it's really just knowing that every single day I'm able to help somebody. There's never a day that I go to the office and I'm bored out of my mind. Every every single day is something new and different. And I'm always able to help somebody in some way. That is fantastic. But what's the least favorite part then, Catherine? Is there? Yes. I think the least favorite part is knowing that you can't help everybody Mm. and that you're working within broken systems that you know are broken, but you're just a person trying to do your best, trying to help one from one person to another, trying to help them. And it's not always possible in the way that they need it. Are there misconceptions people have about being a social worker? Certain highlights that people should know about being a social worker? Yes. So people think that We are only here to get you in trouble, that we want to take away your babies, uh, which is not true. We want you to keep your babies, actually. We want the exact opposite. So we strive with every person that we work with, whether it's in child protective services or in a hospital or wherever you are, is just seeing what's going on in your life. Why are we having this conversation? What's happening? There's usually some sort of crisis or something that's happening that's not going well. And then what do we need to get you back to where you normally are or where you feel like you need to be? So how exactly do you do that? What's your day-to-day like then as a social worker? And I know every day is different for people in most occupations, but what is what is a typical day like? What time do you usually arrive? What time do you leave? What happens during the day? Who are you interacting with? Sure. So speaking from a medical social worker position, my typical day is I'm going to arrive in the morning about 8, 830, check my emails or the systems and find out who I'm seeing for that day. So sometimes there might be prearranged appointments as as they would be at a doctor's office. Other times it's going to be at the hospital. It's more of who needs the most help first. So prioritizing who needs that help. And then from there, I will look at whatever information that I have available about the person so that they're not repeating their story to me. 
So I can go into the meeting and say, hey, I know that this is going on. Is there anything else you want to tell me about that? Like, let me get your perspective. Right. And then I meet them. I hear what's going on. I We figure out together what is it that they need. And then I try to connect them to that resource. I see. So you are a bridge to other resources, other people that can help them as well. Yes. Exactly. So there's only so much I can do within the hospital setting because it's very fast, very crisis response, and a lot of planning. So what is going to happen after you get out of the hospital? Mm -hmm. And so that's what's called short-term or brief interventions. So meaning it's very brief. We have one meeting together and we need to plan for after you go home. How are we going to keep you safe? How are we going to prevent you from coming from having to come back to the hospital and you help people at many different stages as well throughout their their care i mean i have a loved one that's in a hospital of course the social workers involved there as well and helping deal with families too yes yes exactly so my day i could see a premature baby that's in the NICU talk to their mom. And then the next visit, I could be talking with someone who is homeless or um, struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction. The next meeting might be someone who attempted suicide. The next meeting might be someone who is, um, is at the end of their life and maybe they need hospice or maybe the family is, is forced with a decision like, okay, let's, let's withdraw the life support. And how do we come to that decision? Wow. That is full spectrum. Wow. Yes. From birth to cradle or cri- from cradle to whatever Crypt. the other one is. <laughs> <laughs> cradle you to get grave. the idea. <laughs> Listeners, you get the idea. Cradle grave. There you go. <laughs> Got it. Uh, now, t- you've mentioned this to me before that you are a therapist. And I didn't know that word was attributed to social workers as well. So tell me. What do you mean by therapist and who else can be a therapist and how a social worker is different from the other type of therapist? Yes. With your master's degree, you're going to learn how to interact with clients on a systematic level. So what that means is you and I are, you know, two individuals but we operate and live within systems. So you have a family system. You have your neighborhood. That's a system. There, You might be involved in school or college system. And how you, maybe how you get there if you're using the transportation system. So all of these systems interact to impact us. And social workers are specifically trained to look at the entire system of the person. So not just the family, like marriage and family therapists. They're trained to look at the family system. Psychiatrists. Psychiatrists prescribe medication for mental health disorders. So they're only looking at your, your, your biology, right? And kind of very micro. Um, social workers are specifically trained to look at all the system, including policy, You know, how do the policies that are in place in your state and in the country impact you all the way down to the personal level? So that's why you're able to have social workers who are trained on a therapeutic level in all the different areas of society. 
And that's what makes us different from the other therapists or counselors is that we're able to work on different in different systems. And hence why you have so such a breadth of different people you can take care of. Yes. And once you get your master's, you can start working immediately? Or is there like a training period like you do in medicine where there's residency? Once you get your master's, you're already going to have experience because it's required to take internships. Got it. So yes, you can start working immediately. And you don't necessarily have to become a therapist. There's plenty of social workers who, again, go what we call the macro route, meaning they're more in administration, in leadership roles, in policy, things that are more leadership level. And then we have the micro roles, which 80% of masters in social work graduates choose to go the clinical role, which is going to be getting uh, licensed as a therapist or as a licensed clinical social worker. As uh, as that part of the 80%, you are part of that 80%. Yes. Right. So what are some of the, what's a case or two that, that you could tell us of a challenging situation or a patient interaction that left a really strong impression on you, Catherine? There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Take a pick. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you one at beginning of life and end of life. Okay. So most recently, I it was my first experience dealing with this kind of situation at the hospital. Um, I was called in because a a couple had lost their baby, and at birth. Yes. Well, okay. before birth. So they she had a miscarriage. And it was a, she was pretty far along. So it was very traumatic for the mom and the husband. And I was sent in there to support them and give them the resources. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? What, what can you say to somebody who just lost their baby? I mean, there's no words, right? I just feel like a heaviness. And a lot of times when you're there to support people, it's just knowing that there are no words and that you just showing up and say, hey, um, I'm here for you. And if there's anything that I can do, let me help. Is there anything? Is there anyone I could call? Do you have social supports? Because tapping into those social supports is extremely vital whenever we have really hard life situations. And I explained the resources to them, which was very difficult to even talk about the logistics of, okay, here's the mortuary um, that handle infants. Okay. And these are your options. And unfortunately, you need to make a decision within three days. And there's also other resources. There's uh, volunteer photographers that will come in and take newborn photos with you if you want to to hold your baby, if you want to see your baby, if you even want to do that. So it's very difficult because they're in shock and I'm constantly assessing, are they understanding what I'm saying? Is it registering? Is it clicking? Or is everything just going right over their head because they're when we're in shock and when we get bad news, we don't absorb all of the information that's being presented. We retain about 20%. So constantly assessing, and then you don't want to overwhelm them too. So that was a hard conversation to have. I bet. Wow. Well, it sounds like social workers also need their own social network and support system as well. Yes. Which we will talk about 
at the end, we talk about what you're going to do or you doing right now. It's hard. Like I've been doing this for over a decade and it's still hard. So starting out as a new intern or as a new professional, just know that it's hard. Is there a, a more uplifting story that you'd like to share? Yeah. So I did work for a couple years at an affordable housing uh, senior apartment complex in downtown Los Angeles. And I was the service coordinator there. So my role as a service coordinator is to assess the needs of our residents and see what they're going to most benefit from. What are their struggles? How can we counteract that? So the best part of that job was planning social events because seniors, they, if there's the option to just, I mean, stay in their house or if there's nothing going on, they're just going to stay in their house and be isolated and lonely. And then that is high risk for depression and just a whole slew of physical health problems too, just staying in your house. So I would just love planning the events because we would have, I think the best event we had was a fish fry. So we had the residents compete in a fish fry and it was so delicious. (laughs) (laughs) But if it weren't for those events, a lot of times they wouldn't talk to anyone that day. So planning the events and the exercise programs and the bingo games, it gave them a reason to get dressed and to come out of their house and to socialize and create those relationships that that we need, you know, for tough times. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a fun part of the job. <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> All right. So how would you describe the work-life balance as a social worker? I, I know it's very varied because the environment you work at can be very vi- varied, but as a general rule, what's the work-life balance as a social worker? We need to improve on this, Richard. Hmm. So as a general industry standard, it's pretty poor. And that's part of my mission with my own podcast is to start changing that narrative and to change the routines of our social workers because as society, we don't value emotional work, right? So we value physical like athletes, like, yeah, of course they need to rest. They need to recover because they have a huge event coming up. But for people who use our brains and hold that emotional space for people, it's emotionally draining. Like if you think about having a a talk with, with your friend, maybe your friend just had a breakup and they're crying and heartbroken and, and it's an hour that they're talking and venting. And at the end of the hour, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so <laughs> tired. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's what we do at all day, every day. And so it adds up. And we as a society have not gotten to that point where we normalize taking care of ourselves and self-care and just taking breaks and not doing anything, even rest. You know, I like to say rest is productive because like the athlete who's a, a physical, you know, they're an expert physically. We are experts mentally. We need to mentally. Oh, I love that recharge our primary, you know, our brain is our primary source of, of income, of business, of, of impact, of power. So we need to recharge that too. So for me, I try to be aware of my red flags when I'm getting irritable, when I'm getting snappy for no reason, when 
I'm so tired. I don't want to talk to people. or I don't want to do the things that I once found fun. Um, those are some of my red flags. And once I realize that those things are happening, then I need to take a step back and say, okay, what can I, what can I take off my plate for a little bit? That's, that's a, a lot going on as a, as a profession you guys are dealing with. With that in mind, what's the outlook like as a social worker? It's great. So we are one of the fastest growing industries in mm. the country, especially now since COVID happened, we've been seeing an increase in demand for mental health services and honestly, an increase of appreciation for the work that we do as, as mental health clinicians. So there's a huge increase of need and we're also becoming known as a way of preventing crises from happening. So we are, I know in California, there's a big push to have a social worker in every single public school. Really? Yes. That's a lot of opportunities there for social workers. Yes, exactly. And because they're starting to see that if you are able to help a kid, maybe he, maybe they have behavior problems or there's something going on at home and you're able to provide that support before something happens, before they try to hurt themselves, before they try to hurt someone else, then it's much more effective and supportive. And it just makes, makes it so much more enjoyable for the kids and also for the family with that extra support. I would say that'd be very, very helpful. I mean, I don't remember having a social worker in school, but definitely would have been helpful, as, especially during high school when you're dealing with so many things. You yes. know, your body's changing, your mind's changing, your social networks are changing, family dynamics. How do most people get into your profession? Do they go straight from school? How, are, they, are they second careers? What's the situation? What do how do most people get into social work? From what I found, it's straight from high school. Sometimes you go into your bachelor's and you don't really know what the options are. Nothing really sounds good. And then you realize, like I did, like, oh, this is a whole career option. I remember standing in my, this was my story. So I was standing in my career development center at college okay. and I had to pick a major and I knew I couldn't do business because I was terrible at math and nothing else really sounded like something I would want to do for the rest of my life and take out loans to pay for. And I looked at the sociology, they have these printouts. I looked at the sociology printout and right next to it was social work. I said, oh, okay. So sociology was studying populations and research and teaching about it. So kind of looking at them from an outsider's perspective, like a, like looking at a fish tank from the outside. And the social work paper, I said, oh, so you learn about the populations, but you also learn interventions to help them to make a difference. So instead of just standing on the outside of the fish tank, you're actually getting in there with the fish and helping them. <laughs> yeah, some really good analogies. I love that. All right, great. That, and so that's how you got into social work. You kind of chose that, you liked that, and that's how you got into there. So you didn't have anybody that was a social worker or a immediate mentor that kind of pushed you into that role. Yeah, not a mentor. I had an experience with a social worker. So a lot of people in our industry had experiences with the social services system. Oh, so okay. my experience was 
we were going through a custody battle between my grandmother who raised me and my father. And I remember the social worker came into my room and she sat down, she looked around and she asked me, you know, like, oh, you know, who do you want to live with? Are you happy here? Do you feel safe? And I thought she was very pleasant. And granted, that's not everyone's experience, but that was my experience. And I was grateful for her that she took my message back to the court and reported on it. And um, I was able to stay with my grandmother, but I know that that's not everyone's problem or everyone's experience. And there are lots of problems with the child protective services system. But a lot of times when you're working in the systems, that's how you're able to create change. Were there other careers that you were thinking about doing when you were younger? I can't really think of too many. I know I always thought of success as working in a big, tall, giant building in downtown LA and wearing some high heels and going in. And be like, wow, that's, that's <laughs> when you know you're successful when you get to walk into one of those buildings and ding, the elevator. <laughs> that now is that, not what you do. No, no. Well, I do I do sort of do that. I walk into a giant hospital and ding, <laughs> take the elevator up to my that office. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> Are there, uh, is there a type of student that best flourishes in this career? Yes. I think the students who are naturally helpers and enjoy giving back to others do really, really well in this profession. And that's kind of the main thing is you just, you're just the kind of person that wants to help people. And you were doing that as well when you were younger? Oh yeah. I would help whoever I could. I mean, I helped our, our neighborhood stray cat. And my grandmother hated it. I I felt so bad for it because it was cold and I put <laughs> her best towels in the backyard. <laughs> and you I had made best towels for the stray cat. Yeah. Well, your grandmother's best towels. My grandmother's best towels. I put outside for the stray cat. And one day when I was at school, <laughs> my grandmother she heard like Row! outside and she went outside to see what the fuss was about. And it was the stray cat had <laughs> was fighting a raccoon over the bed that I had made. So I wasn't allowed to make, make beds anymore. For this. <laughs> <laughs> how, old you, how old were you? Like eight years old? Probably like eight to 10. Well, that was very thoughtful of you to be doing that. Thinking about the, Less fortunate. It was a pretty straggly cat. <laughs> um, reflecting back, Catherine, would you have done anything differently? No. I got to the point in my career where I wasn't taking care of my mental health. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, maybe, I, maybe I'm just not cut out for this anymore. And then I thought, no, I am. It's not me. It's, it's the industry and the narrative that's toxic. So let me not leave, but let me try to make changes and, and help people, you know, cause I felt like social workers were just being worked to the bone and not appreciated. And, and I just wanted to change that. Well, I think you are, I mean, and what you're describing and how you're helping all these people from all different walks of life. I did not know social work was that diverse and far reaching. So thanks for sharing that. I want to jump into my rapid fire questions. You ready? Ready. All right. Beaches or snow? Beaches. Very California answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite type of cookie? Chocolate chip. Country you would most like to visit pre-pandemic? 
Ooh, Italy. Mm. Not so hot right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Least favorite type of movies you like to watch? Bloody gory. Okay. You like Disneyland? Yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting answer. <laughs> uh, what do you like to do when you're not working? Just overall have fun. I like to be near the water. Favorite and least favorite subject in school? Favorite subject was probably social sciences. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. And least favorite was chemistry. I just didn't understand it. I thought it was going to be math. Well, yeah, math because it was chem. Yeah. (laughs) There's math in chemistry and then big words. And I was like, I don't know what this is. (laughs) Um, Where did you first meet your spouse? At a party in Newport Beach. All right. And finally, what comes easily for you that is difficult for most people? Being present if someone is having a really, really hard time dealing with a life situation. You're really good at that, huh? I think so. All right. I might give you a call here. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Carson, this is fantastic. Uh, Where can listeners go to learn more about you and what you're doing? Because I know you're doing a bunch of different things, especially for social workers. Yes. If you want to learn more about social work and what we do, you can follow me on Instagram at socialworkersrise. I'm also on LinkedIn, Catherine Moore. And those are my two main platforms. Got it. And you also have a whole bunch of different things on your platforms that you're doing as well. Yes. So lots of resources and information specifically for social workers who are just starting out in their career. Um, Lots of fun interviews that we do, collaborations. I have a virtual course for new social workers. We have a a course for medical social workers on how to have end-of-life conversations. Um, And then we also have the RISE directory, which is connecting clinical supervisors to the next generation of clinical social workers. And that's a new thing too. That's awesome. Awesome. I hope that takes off for you. Are there any questions or a question that I should have asked you that you think I should have? No, I think you were very thorough. Okay. All right. Well, great. That's a question I just came up with recently. So I just thought I'd throw that out. Catherine, it's been fantastic having you. Thank you so much for kind of joining me on this brief conversation and explain a little bit about what you do. Of course. Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Again, this episode wraps up season two please stay tuned for season three again we're going to have some great lineup of guests and we're definitely going to give you some heads up if you join my email through my website add your email there on the homepage, and we'll keep you updated with uh with notices as they arise so hc with drmarn.com and thanks for listening all right everybody that's our show today thanks for tuning in To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.